0: I'm always surprised, though I should no longer be, when I find out that something I fervently and unquestionably believe is not equally firmly believed by everyone. It's hard growing up, they tell me, I apparently wouldn't know yet. At a small dinner party a number number of years ago, Likely, just after I had again read or heard something about Hiroshima and Nagasaki, I commented passionately about how appalled I was that we had resorted to using the atomic bomb in Japan. An older man, who very possibly had served in the military in World War II, responded at least equally passionately that we needed to use the bombs, that the war would have raged on, killing more and more American soldiers that we needed to end it. I remember little else of the conversation. I'm guessing someone changed the subject, but I will never forget the exchange I had with that man, a friend of mine. I'm quite sure that many, many people have or have had that same disagreement, whether the bomb was necessary, if it was useful, if it served its purse, purpose 78 years ago, and whether because of the creation and use of that bomb, the world will ultimately be safer or end in nuclear annihilation. Today, August 6th, is National Hiroshima Day. It is observed largely by attending peace and nuclear disarmament rallies or, by attending memorial services often organized by a city's Japanese community. I did not find any observances planned for our area today, but I did want to address the topic, particularly because the movie Oppenheimer, currently showing across the country, is dramatically bringing back the World War II bombings of Japan by our country, very much back into our consciousness or our memories. And this is probably a good place to say, you don't have to agree with me. Here we have freedom of the pulpit and freedom of the pew. Um, This may be one issue you won't agree with and that's perfectly fine. For the fact is, I am still appalled and horrified by the bombings of Hiroshima and Nagasaki. I saw Oppenheimer Friday night, and it did little to still that horror. I did not enjoy the movie for reasons I won't go into here this morning, but I will say that it did help me understand the mindset of some of our top scientific and military people who initially feared that the Nazis would develop the bomb and that we would be defenseless if we did not have the bomb too, to at least serve as a threat of mutual destruction, if not their own precipitous annihilation at our hands. That at least made a little sense to me. In researching today's sermon, I read a lot of stories by or about survivors of the bombings, and it was not time pleasantly spent. I wanted to bring you a story that would demonstrate the extent of the devastation done to civilians of Hiroshima and three days later Nagasaki without it being a story too horrible to hear from the pulpit in church on Sunday morning. I wrestled with that notion for a bit. Afflict the comfortable, we ministers are told. Afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted but who am I to decide who's comfortable and how much affliction should we ministers commit upon the comfortable? More stuff they never taught us in seminary. I finally chose the story I brought to you because it outlined to some extent the horrors and how they impacted the life of a very young girl, but it also demonstrated the power of confession, compassion, and forgiveness. And that is what we as human beings must be about. That is the place to which we must finally evolve, confession, the asking for and the granting of forgiveness, empathy, understanding, caring, sharing, sacrifice, reaching out, reaching over, reaching across clasping hands, loving. We human beings are all, all, inherently capable of such understanding and such caring. Except perhaps for psychopaths, we all have the capacity to feel another's pain and to empathize and to want to help. Now surely that can be messed up, it can be diminished or destroyed by life's happenings by the tribalism by which we divide ourselves, but it is in us. And we must become deliberate about excavating it and embracing it by embracing all all of humanity. The uranium bomb, nicknamed Little Boy, weighed 9,700 pounds. It was dropped on Hiroshima from a height of 31,000 Feet. It exploded at about 1,500 feet above the city with a force of 15,000 tons of TNT. The Joint Commission's estimate for the dead and injured at Hiroshima were that out of 255,200 inhabitants at the time of the bombing, 64,500 or 25.5% had died immediately or in the following three months after the bombing. An additional 72,000 inhabitants, or 27%, were injured. Five square miles of the city were destroyed and almost 63% of the buildings were completely destroyed and many more damaged. Three days after the bombing of Hiroshima, the U.S. dropped a second atomic bomb known as Batman on Nagasaki. Between the two bombings, more than 200,000 people died and many, many more were injured. The decision to launch the second bomb, according to my reading, was to indicate that the U.S. had an endless supply of the new weapons for use against Japan and would, in fact, use them if Japan did not surrender unconditionally. Although it is also thought by a number of historians that Japan was on the brink of surrendering before the bombs were dropped. And for those who believe that Hiroshima was revenge for Japan's unprovoked attack on Pearl Harbor, which it may in part have been, statistics tell us that just more than 2,400 Americans died at Pearl Harbor. This is not to say that the U.S. was not devastated by that attack and is not to second-guess tremendously hard decisions that had to be made in exceedingly hard times during World War II. I wasn't born yet and know so very little, really, but I do know that I am grateful to all of our veterans who did the dirty and painful work of coming to our country's defense and the families that sacrificed so much to support them. But though it ended the war, did the bombings make us safer in the world? What outcomes still torment us today? Theologian Henry Nouwen writes of a young boy, a 12-year-old living in New York City. He is a playful, affectionate, and very intelligent child, now and right, wrote. He has been raised with great love by his parents and behaves like other children of his age. But at unexpected moments, in the middle of the night or when his mother plans to leave the house, he suddenly screams out in fear and anguish. When his parents ask him what is happening, he clings to them and cries, I am afraid that the world will end. Many children carry this fear within them, and it is no secret anymore that countless young Americans wonder if they will ever see adulthood. Thus the nuclear threat not only can bring untold destruction in the future, but is already destroying the hearts and minds of many people today." End quote. And it is true. Several years ago, I preached a sermon here on time and aging. As I was greeting people at the back of the sanctuary after the service, one young mother said to me, I don't believe I will ever have the opportunity to age. Neither do my children. I was rendered speechless for a moment. I tend to be sensitive and aware, and these kinds of deep topics are things that I do think about, but somehow I had never considered that. When she told me, I was amazed I hadn't thought of it. Of course, that's what she might feel and what many others surely do feel. How had I not seen that or even considered it? I thanked her very sincerely for sharing that with me. I needed to know that. And I told her I understood and I would consider her words at length, which I did. I think I shared with you recently that I asked a 20-something-year-old young man where his generation gets their hope, and he responded that they have no hope. People. What are we doing here? What are we doing to our children? And can we do better? Well, yes, of course, of course, we can do better. Think of the capacity of the human mind, the capacity of the human heart, as evidenced in our opening reading and as evidenced in so many places where people care for one another. Allow me to read again from now on. When the Second World War came to an end, I was only 13 years old. Although my parents had protected me and my brother quite skillfully from the horror of the Nazis, they couldn't prevent me from seeing how our Jewish neighbors were led away and from hearing about concentration camps to which they were deported and from which they never returned. Only in the years after the war did I become aware of the demonic dimensions of the Jewish persecution and learn the word Holocaust. And now, 40 years later, I often ask myself, why was there not a massive popular uprising? Why weren't there marches of thousands of peoples protesting the genocide that was taking place? Why did the millions of religious people not invade the camps and tear down the gas chambers and ovens that were being built to annihilate the Jewish people? Why did those who prayed, sang hymns, and went to church not resist the powers of evil so visible in their own land? It is important to find answers for these questions," he writes, and he continues, today I am no longer a 13-year-old boy who does not fully understand what is going on. Today I am an adult living only a few miles from the place where the Trident submarine is being built, a weapon able to destroy in one second more people than were gassed in Nazi Germany during the long years of the Hitler regime. Today I am a well-informed person, fully aware of the genocide in Guatemala and the murderous terror in El Salvador. Today I am a well-educated teacher who is able to clearly show and convincingly show that the costly arms race between the superpowers means starvation for millions of people all over the globe. Today, I am asking myself the question, does my prayer, my communion with the God of life, become visible in acts of resistance against the powers of death surrounding me? Or will those who are 13-year-olds today raise the same question 40 years from now that I am raising about the adult Christian world of my youth? Wow, do those questions speak to you? They sure speak to me. So what can we do? We can move away from our despair enough to take action. We all feel too busy living our lives, raising our children, doing our work, staying up with social media, to take on more, especially when we allow the the what's-the-use attitude to drift into our hearts and minds. We often feel hopeless and useless. But there are countless organizations right here in our country alone working for peace. Another Mother for Peace, Black Alliance for Peace, Fellowship of Reconciliation, Mennonite Central Committee, Student Peace Action Network, Veterans for Peace, and so many more, literally hundreds. There are a number of organizations working for justice and equity. Our very own MICA among them, the Memphis Interfaith Coalition for Action and Hope. And similar organizations in Nashville and Chattanooga, as well as in other states across the country. There are organizations and churches to assist the homeless and to help diminish the cause of homelessness, just as we housed the homeless for several years here at Neshoba through Reedy or Room in the Inn, and just as we can do by participating in Micah, We can all do something to assist in these efforts every one of us, whether it's by writing letters, getting out the vote, donating money if, when, and where we can, by showing up, just by showing up. And we can have discussions to come up with ideas about how to help. Unitarian Universalists are very into social justice work. Let's grow that attitude and do even more. How about urging our country to develop a Department of Peace? The Department of Defense this year, in 2023, had $2.1 trillion distributed among its six subcomponents by our Congress. How about funding a Department of Peace? Ridiculous, you say? Not if enough of us fought for it. And if we were able to elect politicians who uplifted peace and love and justice instead of greed and power. How about think tanks devoted solely to peace and justice? Are there any? There could be. There should be. They said never again after Hiroshima and Nagasaki, at least many did, Let's hope that's true. And let's consider all the ways in which we can make it true. It is of urgent importance. Amen.